If you're going to do something, you do it all the way. Don't float through the middle. Go all in and try your very best at it and see what happens because then at least you'll know. What's going on, guys? Emily Abadi here, coming to you live from the AG studio. You are listening to Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. For episode 187, I am electrified. I like that adjective for me today. To chat with Courtney DeWalter. She's without a doubt one of the best ultra runners in the world, period. Definitive statement, I know, but it's hard to combat, really. I mean, she recently had a dominating performance at the Ultra Trail Cape Town, finishing in first place with a time of 11 hours, 20 minutes, and four seconds. Can you even imagine running, moving (laughs) for 11 hours? But that, I mean, it's not small stuff, but it's just one of the zillions of unbelievable feats that this woman has overcome. And we talk about so many of those fantastic wins and excellent performances in today's episode. We also get into exactly what ultra running is, right? What is this sport? How did she get into it? And what makes running an ultra so much different than any other race from the fueling strategy to having a crew and so much more. She also talks to me about what her most valuable asset is to keep crushing the competition. I'll give you a hint. It has nothing to do with the physical. And I also really need to note upfront that Courtney didn't even begin her performance professional running career until she was 32 years old, leaving teaching behind to pursue this passion. So for anyone who is wondering if it is ever too late to make a pivot, I say no, but maybe more importantly here, Courtney would definitely say, hell no, follow your passions do what you want to do. So amped on this conversation. There's a lot of laughter in this conversation, which I also love. And Courtney is like one of the most humble humans ever. I felt like every time I wanted to highlight something unbelievable and awesome and exciting and fantastic that she has done or is doing, she always tried to like turn the conversation (laughs) back to me, which is super kind. But I saw those games and I got her right back to talking about how she has become such a stellar athlete. So Amazing, amazing to have this time with her. And thanks, Court, for giving it to me. Before we get into today's episode, I do want to take a second to give some love to my friends at Gooder. Gooder, as you may know, is the maker of some stellar sunglasses. They are polarized, they do not bounce, and they are mega affordable, a great price point starting at just $25. I'm mentioning this at the top of today's episode because you still have time to order some of these stellar shades for the holidays. I'm serious. If you're unsure of what a great stocking stuffer is for someone that you love, maybe a boss, maybe a colleague, maybe a friend of a friend, an aunt, a sister, (laughs) you get the idea. These sunglasses are a great buy. And again, especially because they start at a really affordable price point. They have so many different shapes and styles for every taste. Plus, you don't need to be, you know, an elite athlete to wear them. Yes, they are perfect for running. I've worn Gooders doing everything from sprinting around a track to running a marathon, but they're also just really comfortable for everyday period. Running errands, heading to lunch with a friend, grabbing coffee, running to catch the subway, you get the idea. Of course, Gooder has a deal on top of their awesome pricing. Head on over to gooder.com slash hurdle. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash hurdle and use the code hurdle15 at checkout to get 15% off your order today. Again, that is gooder.com slash hurdle. Use the code HURDLE15 to get 15% off today. Make sure you are following along with HURDLE over on social media. It's at HURDLE Podcast. HURDLE also this week, as of right now, has a TikTok account. I'm actually really excited to like kind of play around with that and get 
more involved over there. So make sure you are following along with Hurdle over on TikTok. Of course, I am over at Emily Abadi. And for those of you participating in the Lace Up Challenge, if you're not just yet, we'd love to have you. Make sure you are tagging the Lace Up Challenge on Instagram, also tagging myself and Hurdle. This week, I am awarding one lucky winner, an Inside Tracker Ultimate Plan, and maybe that lucky winner will be you. For more details, again, head on over to the Hurdle Instagram page where you can find the highlight with all of the information. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Courtney DeWalter. She is arguably the, please, arguably, what am I saying? She's the best female ultra runner of all time. (laughs) How are you doing today, Court? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so good. I'm so amped to talk to you because let me tell you, I have talked to many different types of people for the show, ranging from elite athletes to top CEOs, from Andy Puttacombe to a double leg amputee. But the amount of mental fortitude it takes to do what you do is truly remarkable. So I just, I'm not trying to set the bar too high for you, but- Oh, geez. (laughs) I feel like we've got some good stuff to talk about here. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. Of course, of course. Well, we were just rapping before we started this audio about uh, me running the New York City Marathon. And I was like, this is so kind of you to um, acknowledge my accomplishments. But I would love to first start us off here by acknowledging some of yours. I mean, two-time ultra runner of the year, races often in excess of 200 miles. You've beaten everyone at the Moab 240, winning by more than 10 hours. Like I could just keep going for probably like another five to seven minutes, (laughs) listing out the unbelievable stuff that you've done. Do you think you'll ever stop doing this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh man. I feel so lucky to have found ultra running and I hope to be part of this sport in some way for my entire life. So I don't know how long I'll compete like I am, but I know that it's a community that I love. I love people just going out there and trying something really hard and like seeing that so tangibly in hundred mile races or 50 mile races, you know, is just so special. And then how everyone just celebrates together at the end, cracks beers and tells stories and um, you become like this family by the end of an ultra weekend. So I hope to be part of it as long as possible. I love that. I love that. Well, for those that aren't super well-versed in ultras, I myself kind of started to really only truly understand the uh, depth and breadth of what the ultra running community is like within the past year. Why don't we kick things off here by providing a little bit of context because an ultra is really anything over a marathon to start with. Yeah, exactly. So we can do ultra running 101 here. Let's do a quick, right. a quick overview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then by the end of this podcast, maybe you'll be signing up for one. I'm not even lying. I won't even lie to you. Like it's a hundred percent on my bucket and like yes. very much something like in the, I would say next year, two years, that's, that's definitely going to get done. I love it. So an ultra is anything over a marathon. It could technically be 26.3 miles would be an ultra marathon, but typically the distances are 31 miles, 50 miles, um, 62 miles, 100 miles, and then there's races that are 200 or 240 miles. They're on um, all surfaces, so there's ultras that are on roads, there's ultras on trails, and then there's even ultras that are run on 400-meter tracks. So really, you can get anything you want out of it. You can get as many hours as you want out of it. And for me, it's just been the coolest community. Like I got hooked on it because of the people in the sport and um, how open and welcoming they were to me when I knew nothing about it. I didn't know what I was doing at all. Um, And was, yeah, basically bear hugged into it and taught the ways of like eating snacks and you know, moving as best you can for as long as you can and all of the pieces with it. Why don't we start there, right? Talking about your gateway or your entry point, not just to ultras, but 
let's just start with running. Were you always someone that enjoyed running? Yeah, kind of. I grew up in a very active family. I have two brothers, so I was just always trying to do everything and anything that they were. But the running part of sports teams was always a a thing that I liked. Like at soccer practice, I loved when we got to do a fitness day and, you know, run laps at the field instead of uh, drills. So I got into cross country running and track starting in seventh grade. Um, and yeah, fell in love with how you're in charge of yourself and you can leave as much of yourself out there as you want on that day. Um, but also that it always felt like you were a part of a team. So it was like this individual team sport combo that I really loved. And I have always loved how running made me feel like I do it to just think or to socialize or you know, to mull over problems that I'm having. So running was always a part of my days in middle school and high school. And then that love for running in middle school and high school translated to what when you got to college? Um, in high school, I also joined the cross-country ski team and went to college and continued to race cross-country skiing. But that's a endurance sport as well. So we were still, you know, running in the off seasons to train. Um, I was still getting up in the mornings to get in my run before classes, just because I loved how it made me feel. Yeah, for sure. And so at that point, you're, you go to college, you're skiing all of the time, another sport that you love. When do you take your love for running kind of like up on the distance front? <laughs> I think uh, after college, I just wanted something to sign up for. And I'd heard about all of these people doing road marathons. I thought it sounded insane to run (laughs) 26.2 miles. I was like, there's no way that I'll survive that. But I have to try because it sounds pretty cool. So after college, I signed up for a few road marathons and shocked myself when I didn't die during the races. And like my legs didn't shatter during the races. I couldn't believe that. And then I was just like, oh my gosh, I thought 26.2 miles sounded impossible and I just did it. So what else is there that sounds impossible that I could try? And that led me right into the ultra running world. I feel like that's the thing with running in general though, right? It's like, it is a reminder of your great potential. And that reminder translates to so many of the other things that we do in our day to day. I mean, I'm sure when you started running marathons at this point, were you, uh, were you teaching at this point? I was. Yeah. And so did you find like that excitement to bring that, like you can do anything to your students? Yeah. And I was coaching cross country. So it was like a cool bleed over of watching these kids, you know, try and run 400 meters for the first time. Or then, you know, a couple of weeks later, do 800 meters and be so psyched on it. And it was like, it doesn't matter how far we're going, actually. It's just that we're stacking these tiny little blocks up and getting a little bit better without even noticing it. Usually it like, sneaks up on you, I think. And that's so cool about running. So you were saying that you kind of got bear hugged into your first ultra. Talk me through how that went down. Yeah. So I um, signed up for a 50K, which is 31 miles. I I thought that was the best entry distance because I'd done 26.2. So I was like, you know, what's five more? I could survive five more. I've got to try. And it's just like, chillest vibe at a trail ultra event. So like people are just chatting. We're, you know, moseying through these beautiful woods. No one's like checking their pace or no one's watches are beeping. It's just like, we're out just enjoying this day. And then you get to these aid stations and their buffet lines of like every food you could imagine. I was like, my brain exploded. I was like, what? We get to just eat jelly beans and quesadillas and like spend the day outside. This is so cool. Um, And so I knew when I finished that one that 
I had to see what else was possible. I had to find the next distance. So I signed up for a 50 mile race. And that one was the one that like really cemented the bear hug. It was, I mean, horrendous weather, sideways, sleet, you know, every sign pointed to we should be grumbling and whining and hating our lives right now because we are just getting pelted out there in the elements. But like I looked around at one point and people were just hooping and hollering, wearing garbage bags as jackets and like making the best of this experience. And I was like, that is so cool that these people are finding the joy in something that really, if you looked at it on paper, is like there's zero joy in that. You know, <laughs> it reminds me of like the 2018 Boston Marathon when it was like hailing and all of the elites dropped, and I was literally just like running in a black garbage bag, yes. and somehow decided after that that I wanted to keep running again. Yes, that's so cool <laughs> that you were at that one. For you to say that you first of all you went from 31 to 50, I feel like that's a pretty big jump. No. <laughs> Uh, yes, but I recommend you follow the same path. It's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) If you tell yourself it's going to be great, then it's going to be great. So I was listening to something else earlier today and it was all about like how you present yourself. Right. And it's like, if you present yourself or show up to a scenario and you are confident and you present yourself in a certain way, then people are going to vibe off of that energy. Whereas if you walk into a situation completely doubting yourself, then you're already kind of setting yourself up for a disadvantage from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, doubt in general just can grow and like fester in our brains. And so if you arrive to a scenario with it already growing, then it's trickier to fight off, I think. I would agree. I would agree. I would co-sign that. So for you, you also mentioned we're going from 31 to 50 up from 26. We're just growing and growing and growing. So I think we know the trajectory that this is going on. Can you (laughs) reflect on maybe the post-race soreness situation either escalated or didn't escalate for you as the miles would add up? Oh, it escalated. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, I've been, so that first 50K was in 2011. So I've been doing ultras now for 10 years. And um, you're right. It has definitely snowballed in distances. That took off pretty quickly. But the recovery was interesting because initially, after I would finish a 50K or a 50-mile or once I got up to that 100-mile distance, I mean, I couldn't walk normal for weeks afterwards. My legs and my feet were just swollen. My whole like body sort of felt off and like I wasn't sleeping very well. Um, maybe my appetite wouldn't be as great. But slowly over time and over like accumulating more of those building blocks where, you know, my body was used to those miles a little bit more, I guess. Um, the recovery now is much quicker. So I, I'm not sure the exact like reason for it. There's probably a lot of things factoring into it, but um, it's, it's gone where now I can like get out jogging within a couple of days of a long race. Jesus. I mean, it's, and I try to put myself now, like as a runner who aspires to do some sort of an ultra, although like I'd have zero aspirations to go, you know, to the lengths that you have literally, but my, for someone who, who hears you say this and hears you talk about how bad it had been at certain points, I'm sure their first question is like, what does a doctor tell you about that situation? And at first, when you started to rack up the miles, were you concerned about what was actually happening to your body? No, I think... I <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in general, I have always tried to like really tune in to what my body is telling me. And so it made sense in my head that my legs and feet were sore after asking my body to run for 50 miles or whatever the distance was. So it didn't feel concerning. It was just like, oh man, we can figure this out better, I think. So then it was like, what are the other pieces involved? Like, 
Um, what else do I have to learn or grow on in order to get better at the recovery piece as well? Right, right. And you mentioned the 50-mile race, your next up from the 31. Uh, for you, talk to us Talk to us a little bit about kind of what that actually looks like beyond the long buffet lines. Because at that point, 50 miles, you're out there for some time. And it's not just like you're going 50 miles without stopping. Like there's a lot of other things that someone who may not be familiar with ultra marathons uh, wouldn't know happen during that time period. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so a 50 mile race is not pure running. You're going to try to move as efficiently as possible, given um, how you're feeling or what the trail looks like. If you're on, you know, hills or downhill or flat or um, just kind of riding the waves, basically, of when you feel good, you try to take advantage of it. And when you feel bad, you try to problem solve so that you can feel good again. Yeah, it's like a jogging pace and a hike, a fast hiking pace on uphills. It's making sure you have a constant stream of energy coming in, in the form of food. And I think it's definitely about enjoying the fact that you're doing this with your feet, like taking in the views, appreciating your body. Like, I don't know. I just think it's so crazy when you think of how big a footstep is, like one stride length. And then you think of 50 miles, like if you drive in a car and the sign says that a gas station is 50 miles away, that seems absurd. You're like, oh, we'll never make it. I'm so hungry. But, <laughs> but by just piecing together those small steps, you can get there. And it's like so cool to experience that. Yeah. I mean, not to like, you know, jump ahead too much, but foreshadowing like 283 miles in one false swoop. It's like, I would imagine that like 283 miles would probably be to like Washington, DC. Let's just say that. That's just nuts. It's pretty far, it's so but far. you just take it one step at a time. And like, um, like anything. So probably in your marathon, there were points where it felt overwhelming. And then you're just like, Oh, that, telephone pole or the next water stop, like I can do that. And so you just think of that small bit, you know, you can do. And then when you get there, you figure out what the next small bit is that, you know, you can do again. I love that idea of just breaking it up to little doables. I just made a note of what you said, problem solve when things get bad so that you can figure out how to feel good again. And I think that that mentality is potentially so valuable for so many people who have uh who have difficulty breaking it up like that right maybe it's uh because they get overwhelmed easily or maybe it's because it's hard to take that step back and think of the bigger picture when things may not be going as planned in that moment now you talked about a couple of entry races here but was that 50 miler, would you say that was the first time that you really felt like you really had to implement that mentality to the fullest as the weather was just so out of control? Yeah, for sure. And then in my first hundred mile race, which was the next one, I, I mean, it went the total opposite way where I didn't problem solve and I let that doubt just grow in my mind. And I became really negative to myself in my head. Like, the things I was saying to myself during that first hundred mile attempt were um, basically like, what are you doing out here thinking you can go a hundred miles? Like you should quit. This is a joke that you're here. You know, who did you think you were that you were going to do ultra marathons basically? And that grew into this giant like blocker in my brain that shut down my whole body. And I quit that first hundred mile race because I forgot to problem solve until it feels good again. Like I just, when things went south, I, I suddenly like gave it way too much weight and let it um, grow way too large in my head and didn't actually fix anything with it. It's interesting because, you know, there's two mindsets, right? Sometimes it's like, the DNF, so to speak, or, or not continuing at times can be the right decision. But, and, and we'll talk about, you know, when you maybe have had to pull out as we go along here, but 
for some, it is that mental fortitude that we're talking about, the building of that, the persisting when things get hard, that is really the reward within the journey. Yeah. I'm thankful for that first experience because it taught me how strong our brains are. Like when I reflected afterwards, I was like, your legs were hurting, but everyone's legs were hurting. You know, that's a far ways to go. So of course you were mm. feeling tired, but your brain is the thing that caused you to quit because I just had thrown in the towel mentally. And so it triggered this whole realization for me of how strong our brains are and how important it is what we say to ourselves in our heads. Even if we know we're lying, sometimes, you know, I'll be like throwing up in the bushes and I'm like talking positively to myself like, yeah, this is perfect. This is great. Everything is going great. This is just fine. You know, when maybe it's not, but as long as I'm staying positive in my head, I feel like it helps me think more clearly and then move past the problem with like some solution ideas. I like this. I'm thinking about the difference between being realistic with a positive spin and maybe like that cusp of toxic positivity, right? Because I think that a lot of people hear something like that and they might be like, well, that's bull. Like, yeah. <laughs> how am I supposed yeah. to be like, this is really good for me when I'm like literally vomiting in the bushes. But I do think that you can be realistic and kind, right? Because yes. there's no, I'm not saying like, maybe I wouldn't be like as positive as you were, but I think that I would say something like, you're fine. Like, let's start there, right? Like, let's start at a baseline. Let's start at yeah. a place that's, that's giving you the facts of the situation so that you can move forward and do the best you can with what you have. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that is what I'll usually say to myself is just, this is fine. Whatever is happening, you know, however I'm feeling, whatever problem I'm navigating through or around or over, I'm like, this is fine. This is how it's going to go. And that's okay. Um, and I do think that it's part the positivity that can help feed like your physical body forward motion but it also just slows down your system of like not freaking out, not whirlpooling yourself into this like, you know, making a mountain out of a molehill or whatever, you know, it like just stops you for a second to think through what's happening and what you can try to make it better. And we're obviously talking about the mental here. You just said the term physical body. How much of what you do would you say? is the mental versus the physical, or will you just say that they complement one each other? For sure, they complement one another. During a race, um, I think of it as like two bars on a bar graph that are just like passing the load back and forth through the whole race. So sometimes maybe physically you can do it all and you don't need any of that mental strength. And then slowly maybe the mental side becomes more important. Um, and at some points, it's pure mental for me. Like there will be moments where I just feel like I can't take another step. But in my brain, I just tell myself to take one more. And that's what's actually the engine at that point is pure just mental like stubbornness. And then what I found is it does when it goes over to the mental side, it's not that the physical game is over. Like your body comes back too. So it like you ride these waves of like highs and lows of feeling really good running and then having to use your brain and then feeling really good running and then having to use your brain. Yeah, I've heard that analogy before of having two buckets and they both have a hole in it. And if you spend all of your time trying to fill up one of them and you let the other one bleed out completely or leak out completely, then you're going to realize like, shoot, I needed what was in that first bucket that I just didn't give any attention to. Yeah, yeah. That's a cool one. For you, uh, you mentioned having to drop out of that 100-mile race. How did you pick yourself up after that hurdle? So I had dropped because I had given up on myself. And when I watched the finish line of this race and saw all of these people who had pushed through to make it to that finish line, I instantly decided I didn't care if I was a person who was supposed to run 100 miles. 
I was going to run a hundred miles and I wanted to figure it out. And so then it was like going to the drawing board of like, you know, what could I do better to prepare myself for a hundred mile race one year from now? And like, you know, there's so many people with so much knowledge out there. So it was like getting on the Google machine and just like, you know, what gear do people use? What do people eat? Like, how could I put some races throughout my year that helped me build towards a hundred miles? And then when I stood on the start line of that hundred one year later, it was like, I'm finishing this thing. We'll figure it out as we go to problem solve and like get through those hundred miles. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about training for a hundred mile race because for instance, if you Google, how long does, do I need to train for a marathon? Most websites will tell you between like 14 and 20 weeks, right? Depending on your level of fitness. So when you Google, how long do I need to train for an ultra of a hundred miles? I mean, what is it that you even find? (laughs) It's pretty cool because the sport is definitely growing And so there's starting to be more information out there. Like there's books about it now. There's um, all sorts of, you know, knowledgeable people on the interwebs who have like put their two cents out there of what helps. But um, I decided like I don't want to coach. I want to just figure out this puzzle by myself because that sounded fun. Like I was like, that's part of the intrigue of this sport for me right now is like figuring out all of the pieces that I don't even know exists. Like how many pieces is this puzzle? I had no idea, you know? So I was just like, let's start with what we can do. And then as the pieces like show themselves to be another thing to figure out, then we'll just figure that out too. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, AG1 from Athletic Greens. I love my AG1. I literally sit down with it every single morning, and that's because this one sweet sip has got everything I need to take better care of my body. AG1 comes with 75 whole food sourced ingredients, as well as prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods. Plus, it tastes great. I have never been a green beverages, a green juice person, but From the moment I tried AG1, I was hooked. It's not grassy. It's got that little bit of sweetness. I love to shake mine up ice cold with a little squeeze of lemon if I got it in the house and I bring it to my desk. And that is my like signal to myself that it's time to get to work. I, again, I've been using this stuff for four years. I can't imagine my routine without it. And I think that it is an easy, easy thing to integrate into yours going into the new year to commit to better health and just, again, to take better care of your body. Of course, AG1 from Athletic Greens has an awesome deal for you. Head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle for some good freebies, travel packs, vitamin D with your first purchase today. Also want to give some love to my friends at Green Chef. Green Chef makes cooking so easy. So you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. Let me tell you, I have had an insane week. I feel like we are in this sprint to the finish of the year, if you will. I'm chasing people, trying to lock in recordings. I'm trying to make all of this great content. And cooking is my way to de-stress, but planning these meals can be the thing that like makes me not make them at all. This is why I'm obsessed with Green Chef. Green Chef offers 35 nutritious and flavorful options to choose from every single week, including premium clean ingredients that are seasonally sourced for peak freshness. Just last week, I made a chicken with harissa apricot sauce. It was delicious. And these meals, you know, they come with enough for two. What that means for me, a single woman in my 30s, is that not only do I get it for dinner one night, but then I have it for lunch the next day or maybe dinner another day. I just love, you know, that I'm meal prepping. And again, I love the experience of making my own healthy meals. Plus, it saves me time by taking care of the meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for me so that I can just focus on the cooking 
and the eating and the enjoying. Of course, Green Chef has a deal for the Hurdle listeners. Head on over to greenchef.com slash hurdle10 and use code hurdle10 at checkout to get 10 free meals, including free shipping. Again, that is greenchef.com slash hurdle10 and use code hurdle10 to get 10 free meals and free shipping. I love the word that you just used, fun, right? Like it's fun for me to figure out. Not that long ago, I I spoke to someone on the show and we talked a lot about goal setting and what goes into it. And I loved when we talked about setting a goal that the expert had advised to write out, you know, all of the steps that you would need to take if you did a little bit of research, just like you did, and figure out if those steps sound fun right? Like you could have a goal that sounds fun, but if getting to that goal is going to be absolutely miserable, then what's the point of chasing that goal at all? And so I love for you in this, like, yeah, I think it's a little bit crazy to go after that type of goal without any sort of coaching. But I do think that it's really special and a testament to the fact that you probably from a young age had people in your life that taught you to go after what you want. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was raised... My parents are amazing and they basically instilled in us that like, if you're going to do something, you do it all the way. Don't float through the middle. If you're going to do it, go all in and try your very best at it and see what happens because then at least you'll know. So it was like, you know, sports were like that, but also just like life things like friendships or school projects or, you know, anything we were taking on, they were like, okay, yeah. You can do that, but if you're going to try it, like, do it, like, go all the way. Um, So I feel like that's, like, bled through a lot of things in my life. So how does the 100-miler go? (laughs) The um, second attempt at it? Yeah. Yeah, I made it. It was so cool. (laughs) So I had my husband and my brother and my dad there. It was in Minnesota, which is where I'm from, which made it feel really special. And none of us knew what we were doing, but we knew that we were getting to that finish line and we'd figure it out. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it was just one step at a time, basically, especially towards the end. One step was all I could think about. And slowly those steps added up to a finish line. And you say we, which I think is a really important thing for us to touch on right here, because oftentimes in ultra running, you will assemble some sort of like a pit crew per se of friends, family, acquaintances, et cetera, who can help you on your journey to get to your big goal. So talk us through how that works in that scenario. Yeah, it's a really cool part of ultra running is, um, the ability to have a crew or even pacers. And so a crew would be whoever you can coerce into spending their weekend with you. Um, (laughs) Bribery always helps, but (laughs) (laughs) they get to meet you at aid stations along the way. So maybe you see them um, every like six to 20 miles, depending on the stretch of terrain that you're covering. And when they meet you there, they can have any extra gear for you. They can have specific snacks or food that you request. And they can just be like that friendly face that knows what to say and when to say it and can, you know, deliver a joke if you need it or just give you a big hug and send you on your way if that's what you need. Um, So ultra running for sure feels like a team sport because of that aspect of it. And then some races allow a pacer to jump in with you. So one of those crew members could run with you for a stretch of the race. Like they could run you to the next aid station 20 miles away. And so then you get to share those 20 miles together, which is my absolute favorite part, just because I think the memories that we make with people is what it's all about. And so to have that specific, you know, set of miles with that friend or husband or sibling is like, I mean, those are memories that last forever. 
I love how you worded it that they get to meet you <laughs> at these aid stations. <laughs> yeah, they're like driving out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> surviving on gas station food. <laughs> and I mean, you mentioned earlier the different types of ultras that there are, right? Like obviously there are trail ultras, there are out and backs, there are, you mentioned doing one on a track, which is just insanity to me. But then also what is popularly referred to as a backyard ultra. So what does that mean? A backyard ultra is a sort of new format that was a brainchild of this guy named Lazarus Lake, who's also the race director for a race called the Barkley. So people may have seen that Netflix documentary. If you haven't, you should look it up. But he came up with this idea of giving people the opportunity to see how far they can go if the format is set up for success in distance. So he said, in this backyard format, people will run four miles every hour and that's it. That's as far as you can go. And then you'll just wait until the next hour and go again. And so four miles an hour, I mean, is like a decently sustainable pace for quite a while. And um, it's a really cool format because the only way that you're out of the race is if you drop, so you say, I won't do anymore, or you don't make it back in time. But for the most part, people make it back in time and then they're sitting there and they're thinking like four miles in one hour, like I can do one more loop. And so then they get up and they do another loop and end up shocking themselves with how far they can go. I did a backyard format um, a few years back, and one person there was like, my goal today is to run my first marathon. So four miles an hour for a marathon. Do you know how many miles they ended up doing? How many? Like 72. (laughs) Because they kept sitting there and then thinking like, oh, I can do one more lap. So they'd get out of the chair and they'd start the next lap and then there's four more miles. And then they'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm done. There's no way. I'm over a marathon. But then they'd be like, oh, I'll do another lap. And it's, <laughs> it's so cool. Like what a way to see what's possible by setting up a race with this crazy format. I think that, I mean, that mentality is what caught on with the Goggins challenge over the last year and a half, right? Like people all over the country and the world all started just going out and running a handful of miles every hour over, what was it, like 48 hours? Yeah. 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 So cool. It's the same thing. And it sounds impossible. If you sit there and you mull it over, you're like, oh, my legs, my feet hurt so bad. There's no way. But then you just do it. It's like all those steps bring you back to four more miles and then you've got one more lap under your belt. That's so cool. It's so cool. It's so cool. So at this point, after completing that 100 miler, you must feel on top of the world. Talk to me (laughs) about when you start to realize like not only did I just do that, but I'm actually pretty good at this. (laughs) Very good at this, in fact. (laughs) What I knew when I finished that first hundred is that I liked it and I wanted to try again and see if I could do it better. Because like, I don't know, you get it, you get that finish one time, like any race distance, you know, a 5k or 10k, you do it one time and like you can reflect back and think of all of the things in your training or during the race that might have helped make it better. That's then what I wanted to do moving forward is like reflect on this hundred mile distance on my training, on everything I had did to lead up to it and during it and make it so it was better. It's so interesting, right? Because I would, I would argue that you and I are both growth mindset people. And I think about those individuals that just want to check off a marathon on their bucket list and they do the marathon, but somehow after it's done, they don't get that itch. And like, I don't necessarily understand those people. Like I'm not I'm not trying to shade them. I'm so proud of their accomplishment whether, you know, it's going out to run for 2 minutes or going out to run for 200 miles, but it still blows my mind that you can taste how awesome it is to push your own potential and be like, "You know what? 
I'm good. Maybe though, then they're just pivoting and they want to like, you know, dabble in as many different cool challenges as possible. We'll give them that benefit of the doubt. We'll give them that yeah. benefit of the doubt. Okay. Yeah. So you realize <laughs> that you want to do it better. Talk to me. Let's fast forward a little bit and bring this like up in the mileage, right? So you want to do it better. You conquer the hundred again. And then this just starts to become like kind of a regular thing for you. So much so that you leave your job teaching. <laughs> yeah. My that was my first retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Talk me through that thought process and like kind of probably that was a really surreal moment for you. Yeah, it was crazy and I'm still pinching myself that like this is what I'm doing right now with my life, but I had done a bunch of 100-mile races at that point, a bunch of, you know, shorter distance ultras and I loved it. I loved everything about the sport and the training and the racing and the community. And I just felt like I wasn't all in on it. Like I wanted to be because of like a normal work schedule. And so my husband and I were just chatting about life and like, you know, the fact that we get to choose our path that we take. And we talked about when we're 90 and we're sitting on our rocking chairs and we're looking back at this moment are we going to wonder what if or what could have been if we had gone all in on ultra running? And so we were like, well, what's the harm in trying? Like the worst thing that happens is I realize that it's not going to work or this lifestyle isn't for us. And then I pivot back and find a job again. So it was like, this is a nice little side detour we can try out and just see. And I was really nervous that, um, I was going to start to not like running because switching to having it be a job as opposed to this thing that I got to do for fun all the time was like, oh my gosh, like what if suddenly I lose this outlet that I have that I've had my whole life of, you know, how I want to spend my time or mentally recharge. But that didn't happen. Like it's still a blast. I still love it so much and it doesn't feel um, any different now that it is my job. What year is retirement number one? That was in 2017 in the summer. Okay. There has to be some level of maybe anxiety that goes hand in hand with that running becoming your job. Because now, whereas you used to, you know, leave your house and maybe go to school or like be working on lessons plans, like what did a week start to look like for you? I knew that I didn't want to lose running as this love that I had. So just having that like be acknowledged and framing everything for me made it so that it didn't change the feeling that I had. So I didn't suddenly have anxiety about my performances. I didn't have anxiety about, you know, training. Basically, I just had a wide open day and all of these puzzle pieces of ultra running that I still was tinkering with. And so I got to just play with those and um, get in some more like concentrated amounts of training. So instead of like piecemealing together, you know, 45 minutes at a time, a couple times throughout the day, now I could get in a long run on a Tuesday of, you know, hours or whatever. So um, yeah, it was crazy and cool. And I feel really lucky that um, I'm still doing it and still loving it. What would you say after you started this new chapter, uh, making this your career, when you felt you really arrived into it, when you felt <laughs> like you had truly made your name as this woman that was about to change, I would argue, this sport forever? <laughs> I don't know. You're like, how are you saying this to me? <laughs> it's such a cool sport. I can't wait for you to do a 50K. <laughs> Stop deflecting my own question back at me and talk to me about your big accomplishments. <laughs> All right. After, because you don't go just jump from 100 to 240. It doesn't happen like that. No, it was a lot of hundreds and slowly, like we were talking about the recovery time earlier, recovery time was getting better. Like I wasn't feeling so wrecked after every big effort like that. And so it was like, I don't know, like, oh my gosh, our, the building blocks, the base has gotten bigger. And so now, you know, 
what else could we do with that? Let's see what else is out there. And there happens to be race directors now who are making races of 200 plus miles. So obviously I had to try it. <laughs> Did anyone like in your inner, in your inner circle, when you like started to say like, so I think I'm going to do this thing next. Was anyone ever surprised or did anyone ever maybe give you like a, are you sure you want to do this? Or was this just like, everyone was on your level of crazy? Mostly everyone was just like, yeah, okay, try it. Like, why not? So like initially my family and friends, you know, I was getting into ultras were like, what is this sport? Like, you're telling me people do that for fun? Like you're running 100 miles because you want to? Um, but over the years then they were like all in on it. They got it, you know, how cool the community was. They came to stuff and and got immersed in it. So I think when I called like friends or my parents and I said, I'm doing this 240 mile race, they were like, okay, yeah, cool. Is there a way to track it? Can we keep track of you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's like the meanest part of it all is there is tracking usually. So my dad or my whole family really during a race that's 240 miles takes a while. So it's like days of running and they'll just be like refreshing. Like their hand is just stuck in that refresh like position for their phones for I mean, 58 hours, that's a really long time to be like thinking about someone running. <laughs> I think that, again, like going back to the idea of someone hearing you like being excited on taking out all of these challenges, like so many times we hear stories of endurance athletes and that question is like, is this person okay? Like, is there something that you're trying to run from? Or do you think rather that there's something that you're trying to run to? I think I'm running towards something. So what's keeping me in the sport and signing up for these long efforts is um, just a curiosity for what's possible. I think from the beginning, like the fact that I kept like shocking myself that, you know, I didn't die running 50K. I didn't die running 50 miles. I didn't die running 100 miles. And all of the puzzle pieces kind of emerging made it so it was like, oh my gosh, what's actually possible? I don't think we know yet what can happen when our bodies and our brains are putting all of their effort into this sport. Talk me through the first 200 plus mile race. It was in Moab. It was 240 miles. Um, Moab's in Utah. It's very beautiful, canyon, deserty sort of terrain. Um, but then there's also this mountain range over there in Utah called the LaSalle Mountains that are classic mountains, like rocky and snowy and forested and stuff. Um, and so this 240-mile race makes a huge 240-mile loop that takes you through the desert and canyons and then into those big high-altitude mountains as well. So it just has this like really cool variety of terrain. and for sure, I had the same feeling standing on that start line of my first 50K or my first marathon where I was like, oh my gosh, 240 miles. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I'm going to try. So I was, yeah, shocked to make it all 240. <laughs> well, first of all, how long does something like that take you? That one took me 58 hours. And in those 58 hours, how many hours of sleep did you get? During that race, I got 21 minutes of sleep. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. 21 minutes of sleep. How many toenails did you lose? Ooh, good question. Maybe I lost two or three in that effort. And when you say you lost two or three, do you lose them after or when you're going for that long, like do they actually fall off during it? The whole process happens. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, after. After. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure the aid station stops, like you can't even count them because at this point with a race like that, like you're constantly eating. Constantly eating. Um, I think the aid stations were roughly every 20 miles in that okay. race. And wow. they were, yeah, fantastic. They would have all these like hot food options in the night sections or cold stuff because during the day, we were in the 90s, I think. So it was getting pretty toasty out there. But then 
on my second night, I remember we were down in like single digits. So it was a big swing in temperature. Um, but basically during a race like that, any carbs are amazing. So I was doing like tons of pancakes, quesadillas, hamburgers, um, mashed potatoes, really any form of potatoes. <laughs> Always down for potatoes. Yeah. Pizza. Uh, yeah. Just trying to like, I mean, you need fuel to keep going. So trying to keep the tank as full as possible. So then when someone hears that you finished in Moab 10 hours ahead of the next competitor and the next competitor was a man, we just need to like run that home. Like about like 22 times because I just feel like so I want to scream that from the rooftops. I'm just sitting here and the real question is just how. What is it about you that sets you apart from the other people that are tackling the sport? I have no idea, but I do know that for me, the mental game has become very, very important. So I rely a lot on my brain to help me keep moving forward as best I can. And when I'm racing, I don't care what place I'm in. I want to make sure I leave everything out there. So when I cross the finish line, I don't want to wonder what could have been if I had done those 20 miles better or done that one section more efficiently. Um, so I'm trying to just like lay it all out there every time I am towing the line. Have you ever had an injury that completely just rocked your world? I've only um, had one injury in my 10 years of ultra running, knock on wood, um, but it took me out of a race. So it was a hip injury that basically like that whole leg shut down at about mile 60-ish maybe during a 100-mile race. Um, and it was like the type of flags going up for me where it was like, oh, this isn't something you stay mentally strong through and push through. Like this is your body telling you something's wrong and you need to just stop the race. You mentioned also earlier the different things in your toolbox that you have to consistently be working on. I know one of those things, as we've kind of hinted at time and time again here, is nutrition. Maybe not during the race, but talk about the things that you're mindful of on the regular with this type of training routine that you have? I, um, like my training and self-coaching, try to really tune in to what my body is asking for. So I think like cravings and um, our bodies tell us a lot of things if we listen. And so I will try to listen to those always to help me feed myself well. I don't cut out any food groups. I make sure to eat just a lot and then to um, include any of the cravings that I'm having. So sometimes it's like ground beef on everything. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just need some red meat. <laughs> and sometimes it's, you know, a lot of greens or um, things like that. But taking care of myself outside of the running piece is um, important, but also not losing the joy, like eating and not thinking about food. So eating things I love is part of joy for me. And so I want to, you know, start the day with pancakes because I love pancakes and I want to end the day with a beer because I love beer, you know, anything in between there, um, is like fair game. I think favorite pancake, like I'm a banana chocolate chip pancake kind of person. Oh my gosh. Well, so one of my partners is Kodiak Pancakes. Have you had those? I have. They're protein pancakes. Yeah. So, and they make these cups that are perfect because I hate to use dishes in the kitchen. Like if I can just eat something out of a box or just eat it out of a container, I much prefer that. And these <laughs> cups, these power cups are just like pancakes that you put water in and throw in the microwave. And then you're ready to eat pancakes in like two minutes. There's nothing not to like about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they have some really good flavors like uh, cinnamon roll is one of my favorites. Blueberry maple is another. I'm going to have to go to the grocery store and get myself some pancake cups. <laughs> All right. So to bring this full circle now, October 20th. 
283.33 miles at the Bigs Backyard Ultra. And you think after this, you wonder to yourself, could I have gone farther? Absolutely. Talk to me about those days. Yeah. I mean, it was like any run that anyone experiences. So there were good moments. There were terrible moments. There were moments where doubt started to grow. And then there were the moments where it was like just staying positive and using mental strength to keep moving. So um, it roller coastered a ton. And it's like that format where you can just surprise yourself. So for me, it was like one lap at a time. And even on those laps, it was like I knew a tree that I could get to in a certain amount of time. So when I started the lap, I was like, just get to the tree. You know, that's easy. Get to the tree. And then whatever the next section was. So it's it was very piecemealed. I never let myself think about how far I had gone or how much farther I was trying to go. And it's interesting, right? Because the rules of this competition were that you could only keep going as long as one other person was still competing. For you, that competition, Harvey Lewis is this other athlete's name. And it's interesting, right? Because in this moment, it's like you want to come out on top, but you also need this person to keep going. Yeah, which is why it's a really special format because of that, where um, we were each other's cheerleaders. Neither one of us wanted the other to drop because we wanted as a unit to see what was possible. And I think um, that makes it just really cool. You know, like we, we weren't competing against each other. We were competing with each other against the course and against time to see if we could outlast those things. How did that feel for you when that was over? It's kind of crazy. It just like suddenly is over. Like you think it's going to be going forever. You're thinking about your flight that leaves in a few days and if you're going to miss it or not, you know, and then suddenly it's just done. But it was cool. It it made me wonder, you know, what else is possible? I just talked, we talked at the top of this episode, just running the New York Marathon. So often we hear about the post-marathon blues. Talk to us about if you experience that come down after you go through and rock so many of these crazy accomplishments. I usually, thankfully, don't experience much of a post-race blues, and I don't know exactly why. I know that I usually have a whole calendar of events. And so whatever race just happened was just one of them. And so it's never like carrying the weight of the world for me. It's like, well, that was just one race that we got to try. It went well or it didn't go well, whatever. But now eyes are forward for the next thing. Um, And I know like my friends and my husband and my family, they don't give a hoot about results or any of it. So I think that helps, you know, like after a race or in the weeks after a race, I'm, I can get together with them and we're not talking about racing. We're talking about other things. Other things. Speaking of other things, <laughs> 324,000 people following you on social media. They go there. They look at your page. They see this ultra runner, in your words, with a love for sunshine, long inseams, and candy. I love a long inseam for you. When yeah. you look in the mirror, <laughs> Courtney, what is it that you see looking back at you? I hope uh, a person that helps make other people's day better. I love that. And it's interesting to me, again, like kind of just like for a second thinking about the sheer number of people that are trying to keep up with you because your sport is so one where you seek to be off the grid to tap into your own potential. But you just said here that you hope to inspire others using your platform. Do you ever feel like a little maybe caught up in that or kind of like confused in that or obligated by that even? In my head, I'm like in this chapter right now that, you know, eventually this chapter will end and I'll move on to whatever chapter is coming next. And so to enjoy this chapter as much as possible while it's here so that, you know, I know later in life and I look back on this, I lived it as fully as possible. So 
I get to interact with all of these people and hear bits of their stories. I get to run a lot of miles by myself and with friends and like, I don't know, all the pieces in it. I'm trying to just soak up as much as I can. Right now, you have an opportunity to offer the Courtney who had to pull out of that first hundred mile race, looking back on it, a piece of advice during that hurdle moment. What do you tell her? Ooh, I mean, really, I'd be like, chill out a little bit. Maybe, um, yeah, something like slow is smooth, smooth is fast. So that just all the systems can slow down and I could actually assess what was going on and not get sucked in by this negative vortex. What do you say to the people that think what you do is crazy? Uh, To give it a try. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. (laughs) So good. So good. Thanks so much for sitting down with me today. I just love like your energy and your optimism and everything that you're putting out into the world. I think that uh, we can all learn a lot from someone who has so much hope about seeking out like the biggest of the biggest, crazy, fun, audacious goals. Well, thank you. Thanks for chatting. Let's get in touch about what 50K you might try. I'm going to, I know that you don't like to look for help, but I'm totally fine with asking for help. So when I figure out what I'm going to do, I'm going to be like, yo, Court, (laughs) I need a training plan and I need you to come over and bring me pancakes and mugs (laughs) and (laughs) I'll I'll be there crewing and pacing you. Oh my God, please. You won't even imagine. (laughs) I am brand new to this, but I kind of brought this beast of a, of a crew if you don't mind. How do uh how do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give me all your details. Best place is probably Instagram at Courtney Dualter. Beautiful. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>